Hey guys and gals, Cable here. This week's podcast brought to you once again by my friends over at iSocial Boost. You know, I uh, I already had my Lone Star Outdoors show page pretty squared away, but iSocial Boost guys came to me and said, hey, we've got this product that really can help out people looking to make a name for themselves or grow their brand in the outdoor industry. So I said, you know what? We'll start a new page. And before we promote it, I will determine if iSocial Boost really works. Well, let me tell you, it passed with flying colors. My new page, A Hunter's Legacy, has over 10,200 followers. I literally post a couple times a week. Don't do really anything to manage it other than just put interesting content out there. And iSocial Boost does the rest. It it targets people who have the same interest by using hashtags and other people that you want to follow. So like, Jim Shockey, or you use the hashtag deer hunting or big game uh, hunting, all those things. So you find people who have these like interests, and iSocial Boost does the rest. Plus, you can use my promo code, and this is the most important thing uh, Lone Star. Use that promo code. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com, and you'll get 80% off your first week with no strings attached. So use it for a week. If you don't see the kind of growth that you want or expect, and cancel no strings attached. That is literally a $5 investment on yourself. Check it out, isocialboost.com. Lies, lies. Play your part, know your lies. If they ask, we'll both say yeah. Out your dirty laundry, hanging all your so called friends out to try. It is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Uh, we're celebrating a new year, 2019. Hope it's going to be your best one yet. Uh, I have high expectations. For this year, that is for sure. And uh, real quick, I want to tell you, we did something awesome as a family last week. And this was before everyone got the flu. But uh, I took all five, all five of us went to the deer lease and the dog. And I actually uh, shot a doe for the first time with the twins in the blind. So Frankie and Stella, they just turned four. Actually had mom and Henry in there as well. So all five of us. And they got to experience uh, a big game animal being harvested and, and uh, that whole process of how that actually ends up on our plate. Because they're very familiar with going to the processor and picking up sausage and meatballs and backstrap over at Cinnamon Creek Ranch. But uh, not so much with actually seeing the animal get shot and die. Uh, but uh, they embraced it head on. And they're already chomping at the bit to go back. So I, I think it was a smashing success. And the moral of the story is take a kid hunting or fishing, uh, but get them outdoors and raise them right. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Um, so you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old thermos. You know, the one that grandpa passed down to you years ago. Maybe he's still around. Maybe he isn't. But uh, that thermos is a part of him, and uh, now it's a part of you. So pour yourself another cup, because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we're going to talk some quail with a longtime friend and uh, authority on the subject, 
Dr. Dale Rollins of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Eh, not so good for quail here in 2018, 2019. Hopefully that's going to turn around, um, but the report, not the best you've ever heard. Dale will explain why. We'll also talk about some of the predators and obstacles that these birds are facing. Which predators are, are the worst? Um, Dale's rethinking his longtime philosophy on bobcats, uh, so that will be fascinating. Also, animals such as skunks, raccoons, coyotes even, which ones are the most detrimental to quail recruitment? That plus eye worms, other diseases, the whole gambit really, because uh, the birds after rebounding so well in 2015, 2016, are struggling once again. Uh, so interesting stuff coming up with Dr. Dale Rollins. Then if you haven't seen the photo of the Collin County monster that was killed back in November, you need to check it out. Uh, it was taken by hunter Chad Jones. This buck went over 230 inches. It's got, I think it's like 26 inches wide. And when it comes to character and points, it's got all of it, man. It's a, uh, it's a hell of a deer. And it's actually sitting here in studio with me along with Chad uh, so we will hear the tale of how this monster whitetail met its end. Truly a buck of a lifetime and a story that needs to be shared because uh, this kind of deer needs to be celebrated. There's no doubt about that. It'll go top five all-time archery in Texas, by the way. It's, uh, <laughs> it is a behemoth. So I'm excited to hear that entire experience from the first time Chad saw this deer on camera to the day that he actually stuck an arrow in it, or actually uh, ran an arrow right through it. Uh, so that is what is on the docket for today. I'm certainly excited about it and uh, thrilled to have Chad here in studio with his deer. A um, couple other things to mention. We have a vote about to open up for our 2018 Photo of the Year contest winner. Uh, that's going to go on starting next week and will last for a week. And the winner, whoever gets the most votes will join me on a trophy axis deer or black buck hunt down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. And you can vote by going to lonestaroutdoorsshow.com just to click on the photo contest icon and cast your vote. Hey, maybe you've got a maybe you're one of our winners. Tell your friends to uh, and family to go vote for you. And by the way, if you want to throw your hat in the ring for our January 2019 monthly contest, you can do that by sending your photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Uh, I don't know what the prize is going to be yet, but I'll announce that next week. Uh, what else here? Oh, yeah, a uh, quick giveaway. I've got a three-pack of Slick Trick Viper Trick 100-grain broadhead, same broadhead that I've killed uh, two elk with, and it has absolutely devastated these 700-pound animals. Um, but uh, my favorite broadhead, all I shoot... Got a three-pack of Viper Tricks. So email the word Slick Trick, that Slick Trick, to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you'll be entered to win today's prize. Uh, let's take a quick break. We've got a lot to get into today. Up next, we're going to talk some wing shooting, some bobwhite quail with our old friend Dr. Dale Rollins of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Enough 
truck has seen some miles to find the words to write this song to get me back on top of Rabalone. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffpair for Hoffpair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffpair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800 9 Go hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Hey, this is Evan Felker with the Turnpike Troubadours. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, the covey took wing, shotgun singing, a pointing dog down in the old logging road. And Danny got three and looked back, grinning, a fumbled around. Eagle Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star. So powered by Dallas Safari Club, Turnpike Troubadours, the Bird Hunters, also known around our house as the Shotgun Song. As uh, Henry couldn't have been any more than three by the time he knew every word to that tune. I'm not kidding you. And uh, he's always called it the Shotgun Song. So. That's what we call it around here, uh, one of my favorites from Turnpike. And a great segue into our first topic of conversation here today, as Dr. Dale Rollins of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch will be here momentarily. But before we talk some Bob Whites, this segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. If you haven't already, be sure to save the date, January 18th through the 21st. That is Mogambo. The 2019 DSC convention, it's taking place in downtown Dallas. And guides, outfitters, gun makers, firearm manufacturers, knife makers, furriers, I mean, you name it. It truly is a global event to celebrate the hunting and outdoor lifestyle. Of course, there's some fishing guides there as well. So something for everybody. Come on out. Magambo DSC convention 2019, January 18th through the 21st. I'll be there all four days. Head over to biggame.org for more information. Well, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest today, a longtime friend of the show. And when it comes to Bob White Quail, there are a few folks out there who've spent more time studying and hunting these birds than Dr. Dale Rollins of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Dale, always a pleasure. Thanks for being here. It's good to uh, be with you, Cable, and I uh, always appreciate the opportunity to talk about quail. Yes, sir. Hope you and yours had a, a great holiday season. We did. Uh, well, I would say that it was minus one thing. That was minus quail hunting, as we'll get to in a minute. It's a pretty poor year. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah, well, before we get into the meat of the, the day's discussion, 
I do have a question for you because it's been bothering me for some time now as I've taped countless interviews over the years with our Texas Parks and Wildlife officials and other authorities on, on upland birds. And uh, I'm curious as to why exotic captive-bred pheasant and shucker have the ability to uh, carry over, reproduce, and even thrive when released into the wild. And our bobwhite quail, and even uh, even turkey, struggle with that. Um, I, I really don't think that quail have a legitimate shot at carrying over at all, and I, I was curious as to why you think that is, as far as well, the pen-raised I, birds. I would. I think I'd disagree with you about the survivability of the pheas- pen-raised pheasants and chuckers now. Uh-huh. Up in the panhandle, you know, where they've released them, you know, way back when with wild birds, and, and I think that's the key. When you're trying to release a pen-raised bird, you're trying to release a bird, number one, that's probably overweight, number two, has no street savvy, and so it just doesn't know how to cope. I often relate that if they were to send me and you to uh, the poor part of New York City and said, get after it, boys, we probably <laughs> wouldn't see dark. Right, right. But, yeah, but on some level, these birds came from Asia, and so they had to have been released here. So those birds survived at one point in time. Yeah, you know, obviously, I mean, pheasant are found all the way from the Dakotas to the Texas Panhandle. Yeah, but the key, again, being those were wild stock that they were releasing. The, it, wasn't, it wasn't pinred birds. And so they probably came over on a boat. I mean, that's just crazy that they'd be able to survive like that and then just throw them out in the wild. And, and they're like, and they, you know, they did make it to dark in New York City. <laughs> right. Uh, but, I mean, we've talked about it previously. Those, those pin-raised bobwhites, just, they don't make it, huh? No, I mean, some of them will. Uh, there are a few absolutes. So I usually tell people if you released a 1,000 of them, say, on the 1st of January, by the end of January, you'd probably have perhaps 100 left. Mm-hmm. Those birds have gone through boot camp. And as a result, uh, survival of a fittest. And there will be a few of them survive. There will be a few of them that will make it into nesting season, be a few of them to nest and to, uh, you know, to raise a few chicks. But it's a it's a game of very low return on our investment. Yeah, yeah. I've got a a, a buddy uh, Carson Jones that I'm on the Dallas Ducks Unlimited committee with, and he's got a place in the Panhandle, and he's been uh, the last I think four years stocking these pheasant, um, and like they're in a little hatchery like out there on the terrain. I mean, once they like hatch. That you know, they actually grow up right there in the weather. The only thing you know, they're protected from predators, but that's essentially it. And uh, he's had a little bit of success with that, um, as far as carrying birds over. And uh, he's putting the money and time in, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I don't discourage people from doing it, I just say don't put any more into it than you can afford to lose. Because, yeah. as a rule, with quail especially, it just has it's it's a it's uh, the survival and so forth is just very low. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, everything out there is trying to kill them and eat them. So um, with that being said, you mentioned that the 2018-2019 season hasn't been that great. Um, what's going on there? Because, you know, we saw 2016 was awesome, then 17, a little bit of a drop-off. Why are we Why are we struggling? Well, we're struggling here in West Texas. And let me specify West Texas, and I'll say anywhere, you know, in north of I-20 and west of uh, Fort Worth kind of thing and across out to the Pecos River. We're struggling because we had a, well, several reasons. One is the dry fall, winter, spring, summer. Uh, basically from September of 2017 until 
into September 2018, we received very little rain over our part. Now, you guys over in the Metroplex, y'all were just maybe awash with water. Mm-hmm. But out here on the quail areas, uh, we were very dry during that time. When you don't have those fall-winter rains, you don't grow a lot of plants that are important to quail. For example, you don't germinate the sunflowers. You don't germinate the annual broomweed that uh, serves as protection for them. You don't have those hens in physiological condition to lay once the uh, first of May gets there, and all that was a was a whammy on us. And we we had basically no reproduction. We had no reproduction in 2017 or 18. So we're dealing with a with a what population of quail we have as a lot of two and three year old birds, and quail are not meant to be geriatrics like that. We need new birds coming on, and we just haven't had that. So that's the situation across most of West Texas. Now, South Texas was more fortunate. They had some rains in late July, I mean in late June. Uh, they had a nice quail maker rain around the 1st of August, and they can grow quail longer than what we can up here in West Texas. We had an abundance of rain starting about the 1st of October, but it was too too much, too late for us. So uh-huh. South Texas has got some birds. Up in Kansas, I'm hearing good reports from uh, basically the um, – you know, up north of the Panhandle, up into uh, southern Kansas, hearing some decent reports from there. But for most of us where we hunt in West Texas, it's it's pretty hard candy Christmas. Oh, man. Wow. Well, and that just, you know, proves once again the, the boomer bust nature of these of these birds. And, you know, if we get timely rainfall, uh, it could turn into 2016 all over again. Well, we hope so. I mean, they pulled a rabbit out of their hat in 2015, and so the weather conditions, all the rain we got in October, while it was too late to help this year's crop, uh, has been ideal for growing plants like fillery, which we like to see, and broomweed and sunflower. So it ought to be a really nice spring, and the weathermen are saying the, the, the I'm sorry, the El Nino forecast is uh, supposed to last through the spring. So that, those are good news for quail. The bad news is I'm concerned about how many quail we have out there on the landscape to take advantage of those better conditions. Well, and I think everyone was concerned, too, when we came out of the epic drought. Um, was it 2015 or 2016 that was the banner year? 2015 was when they made the tremendous increase, and then we basically rode that wave through 2016 and 17. Okay. Let me ask you about this. As far as feral hogs and their, their relationship with well, do they have an impact on reproduction? Well, everybody likes to point at feral hogs and say, everybody tries to find a silver bullet. Sure. I just tell them that the the smoking gun, when it deals with quail, is not a single shot. It's a revolver. There are multiple cylinders out there. Uh, if, you wanna, if you're mad at feral hogs, you're going to point at them and say, oh, <laughs> they're going to wreck every nest out there. Well, maybe. But then I would encourage you to think of where are some areas where feral hogs are really bad. South Texas, historically in that Shackford, Throckmorton County area, where mm-hmm. quail population is some of the highest, same two areas. So the math is never as easy as one plus one equal two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the rooting of the hogs is basically what we try to simulate with our discs and so forth, so we get soil disturbance. Uh, but there's pros and cons. Like I said, they can be an adept predator of our uh, nest. Well, what predator does research show is the number one threat to wipe out a nest? I would point to raccoons if you are in areas with heavy raccoon numbers. But raccoons, feral hogs, gray foxes, all of those are very uh, capable nest predators. The thing, the reason I point to raccoons is, and again, we are to blame for a lot of this. 
with our fetish for feeding deer over the last <laughs> 30 years, raccoons have taken full advantage of that. Oh. And everybody's got game cameras on their deer feeders, and so you see anywhere from 5 to 15 raccoons at most of these deer feeders. And so we've helped flush that raccoon population doing the same thing with feral pigs. So sometimes it's it's what I call Hippocratic management, first do no harm, and our our interest in feeding deer, especially with the protein and the energy and so forth, uh, not all that goes to deer. I think anybody would would agree with that. And when you begin to put game cameras on those feeders, you see just who's taking advantage of those, and they're benefiting biologically from the increased protein. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I got a picture this week. It was great. I had a raccoon under my feeder and three coyotes circling it. It was, uh, I don't know who won, but, you know, three fawn killers versus a corn thief. Uh, well, I, number one, I'd love to get a copy of that because uh, much of the work or some of the work we've done on at the uh, Roland Plains Quill Research Ranch, we're trying to tease out the relationships between predation and quail and various predators and predators of quail. And we have some surprising results. We're not mad at the coyotes. Uh-huh. We think the coyotes help keep down the raccoon population, the skunk population, the feral hog population. They eat snakes. They they ate five predators of quail more so than they ate quail themselves. So uh, our, our coyotes, now again, we're talking about quail management. We're not the Rolling Plains Deer Research Ranch. If right. we were, I might be mad at coyotes. <laughs> we're not mad at coyotes in our situation. Uh-huh. Now, Dale, how many seasons do you have under your belt? I guess I started hunting quail kind of in earnest when I was 12, and I'm 63 now, so 51 seasons. And, you you know, like you said, things have changed because we like to feed deer. Um, We have less quail now than 30 or 40 years ago as far, especially availability. I mean, the geographic range that they once were found in, that's changed forever. Um, I, I hear folks up in the North Texas area talk about, um, you know, 30 years ago, they used to go hunt quail at Lake Ray Roberts, which uh, for me, that's the only place to go hunt ducks because there ain't a damn quail anywhere near there now. Um, but would you say that other than obviously the raccoons, that the other fur-bearing predators are more prevalent now than they were back then? And maybe it's just because people don't trap them anymore. Well, these are the best of times for various predators. That includes the raccoons, as we talked about, the feral hogs. It includes the hawks. Uh, again, the Cooper's Hawk, the Sharp Shin Hawk, the Harriers, most of those are enjoying good times, too. Now, they're completely off the table as far as what we can do about it, but the removal, the dissipation of various pesticides in the environment, which is a good thing, had the uh, gave the benefit to some hawks. And so as far as predators and quail, I guess my bottom line is you got to look and say, what are my enemies here and what are the ways that I can tip the odds towards my prey species, that being barbed wire quail. Some of that I can do uh, directly, as in control, i.e. raccoons, bobcats. Others, I've got to do strictly, indirectly, through better habitat management. I can't I can't shoot the hawks, that's off limit. And so I've got to learn to work and, and try to tweak that habitat in a form of indirect predator control to where I've made it favor the Bob White and disfavor or lower the odds of the predator that's seeking to catch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we we talk about deer feeders. Obviously, you can be sitting in, in areas where uh, quail are in good numbers, and here comes a covey, here comes two coveys, and they come in and they eat the corn. But I've also witnessed firsthand that you have more hawks circling those areas, 
And uh, the thing that was the most telling for me is I watched a bobcat slink into a feeder. about to. I mean, I shot it right before it was about to pounce on an unsuspecting quail, but that bobcat probably does that almost every day. Bobcats are perhaps the most efficient predators of our adult quail. And uh, as I said, um, you know, if you've got it like on the research ranch, which is 4,700 acres, we think we have estimates of somewhere between 10 and 15 bobcats in that area. I've given them a ride up until this point, but I'm about to change my philosophy because we do have quite a few bobcats, and our quail are hanging in the balance out there. Mm-hmm. When I say that, over the last two years, we had a tremendous population of rats, cotton rats in particular, and that was basically every harrier, every coyote, every bobcat was filling up on cotton rats and leaving the quail alone. But we have uh, we've had like a hundred percent decline. Our cotton rat population is gone for the time being, hmm. and so when you do that now, the, the predator population will lag a year or two, and so we're going to have more coyotes and bobcats right now than what we had two years ago, and they have fewer things to eat, so quail become even more um, the focus of their search efforts. Hmm. Well, shifting gears here, let's talk about the eye worm. That's something that uh, has been at the forefront of, you know, why are quail declining? Why are they not making it to that geriatric two- or three-year-old status? Um, there's a medicated feed out there. I was talking with Jay Stein last year the executive director of Quail Coalition. And um, I think he said it was available now. Like This season might be the first season it's available to the public. Can you give us an update on that? Well, that's not available right now. Okay. Uh, this is going through the uh, various hurdles of the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, and it's with uh, Dr. Ron Kendall up at Texas Tech. And so he's him and his team have been working very hard to satisfy all the requirements of the FDA. It's in the FDA's hands now. They have 180 days to make comment on that. So I, I hesitate to say it's going to be available by April or July. They're getting closer, but just when it's going to be available, I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and it's like this. You know, my understanding is the eye worm won't kill the quail, but I've seen pictures of quail with, you know, infected eyes, and I don't see how they could see a damn thing. So if you can't avoid predators, you don't know what's going on, you know, it is lethal. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people kind of poo-ha-ha our eye worm research and say, well, you know, they've had them before. I mean, we've known about them since the 1960s. So why the alarm now? Uh, we don't know what's happened between 1960 and 2012 as far as their annual occurrence. But beginning in 2012, we've found quite a few eye worms, and we we solicited quail heads from quail hunters last year, January and February, and we had a very high incidence. When I say very high, probably averages of 25 or more eye worms per quail. Uh, this was from several counties out in the lower rolling plains, basically from uh, Runnels County up to about uh, Childress and through there, and we had real bad eyeworm problems. Now, I tell people, if I have a grain of sand in my eye, all I do is rub it, mm-hmm. and irritate it, and I, and I don't have 40 things trying to kill me. Quail does. So anything that detracts from that quail's visual acuity, the ability to pay attention and, and know what it's interpreting there, and that could include barbed wire fences and buildings, 
probably isn't going to help that quail. And so that's the premise that we're working on is uh, if we can remove these uh, eye worms and they have a worm in their gut called a cecal worm, and, and most of our quail have those too. Hmm. So uh, we're very anxious to see how much we can impact our quail populations if we feed this Medicaid feed. Right on, right on. Um, the blue quail seem to maybe be a little bit hardier than their Bob White cousins. Uh, are they immune to some of these threats that the Bob Whites succumb to? No, they're not immune to them. Um, blues are just, as as hunters, we all know they're a wilder bird. Uh, Val Lehman, who wrote the book on quail in South Texas, said they're more intelligent than Bob Whites. And so, number one, they inherit or they inhabit uh, some habitats that are a little more open. Uh, they probably have an opportunity to see some of their predators from further distances, their running lifestyle, uh, several things like that make them better. But they do have eye worms. But now our data show that they only have about a quarter of the eye worms that the Bob Whites do. Why that is, we don't know. They're eating basically the same diet, and the quail pick up the eye worms by eating infected arthropods, primarily grasshoppers. And so uh, just exactly what the mechanics are of that, we don't know at this point in time. As you go west... Uh, west of, um, again, the Abilene area, you're getting into drier country, which is traditional blue quail country. And as you get into more dry habitats, you have fewer eye worms than what you would have in the eastern rolling plains. So there's several things affecting that equation. And when you say, you know, 25 less, is that what, per- let me ask you this, what percent of the population have these eye worms? Is it 100%? I, you know, I last, last year of the heads that we received, it was like 94%. Holy moly. Okay, wow. Now, that's for the rolling plains. Uh-huh. South Texas, they're not concerned. We have eight times more eye worms, higher incidence and higher number of birds, uh, higher number of worms for birds than what South Texas says. So it's a minor thing in South Texas. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, in the rolling plains, and specifically the southern rolling plains, we seem to be the epicenter of the eye worm epidemic. Interesting. Well, well, Dale, I certainly uh, find this all this fascinating, and, and it's always great to uh, try to get a handle. I mean, obviously, you know better than most folks out there what's going on with these birds um, and, and why they're either thriving or struggling as they are right now. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time for today. I'd like to invite you back next week and get into some of the dogs we use to uh, to hunt these birds that we all love. Okay. It's always a great opportunity, and I uh, enjoy visiting with you, Cable, and I hope something becomes of it. All right. Thanks, Dale. All right. Bye-bye. Our good friend, Dr. Dale Rollins of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Again, uh, Dale will be back next week to talk bird dogs. Certainly looking forward to that. By the way, that segment brought to you by Lone Star Beer. The National Beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the deer lease. Or uh, maybe, hey, season's winding down. Maybe you're after some of those hogs. Whatever the case, remember to celebrate the harvest with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the National Beer of Texas. Up next, it's a white-tailed tail for the ages. A Thanksgiving Day buck that went 235-plus inches. Taken in Collin County, we've got the hunter Chad Jones here in studio Tell us all about this top five Texas all-time archery whitetail buck right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show.
church Turn up my grandpa's land Treat my grandpa's land like dirt Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Have you been looking for new and innovative products in the shooting industry? Then check out IOTA. Their scope rings and stocks are second to none, especially with their patented zero light and key lock technology. Based right here in Texas, check them out at iotaoutdoors.com or call 979-229-4664. IOTA Outdoors, inspiring innovation for hunting and shooting. Hi, this is Captain Sig Hansen from the Deadliest Catch. You're listening to the Lone Star Show? Lone Star Outdoors Show. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Captain Sig Hansen from the Deadliest Catch, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Perfect. Been a while since I run into you. Heard you made a man say I do. You give him love and in exchange for the pearls that ain't in love. You want the world. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. That's Eric Willis. Lights go out. And uh, Eric sent that one in. I think he saw our post on Instagram. But y'all know the drill by now. If you're an aspiring country artist, or if you know one, if it's your friend, uh, your brother, brother-in-law, whatever, have them send me their record, and uh, we'll take a listen and likely play one or more of their songs on the show. Uh, but good stuff from Eric Willis. Like that tune. That's off his record, Floodgate. Uh, so check that out. Uh, we are all set to get into... <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I'm looking at the rack here in the studio right now. I don't even know what to say about this deer other than massive. With all the points, you name it, it's got it. And Chad Jones, the hunter who harvested this Collin County buck of a lifetime, is right here with us, and we'll hear all about this incredible, uh, monstrous white-tailed deer. But first, this segment of the show, proudly brought to you by Sendero Seed Company. They've got anything and everything for your whitetail planting needs, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forage Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at 1-877-610-SEED. Today, Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. With that being said, it is my pleasure to welcome Collin County native Chad Jones to the show. Chad, thanks for dropping by the studio and bringing this deer with you, man. It's a sight to behold, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to be here. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself as a hunter, what you like to hunt, and then also uh, where you're from. Uh, well, I'm from McKinney. Uh-huh. I was born and raised in McKinney, grew up grew up here. Uh, we actually moved to Princeton, uh, I guess it was around 2008, and built a house out there on the lake. And so been been running all the, all the back roads before, you know, the, all the 
explosive growth out here, man. I mean, I can remember when Stonebridge was nothing but open fields and now it's just homes as far as you can see, man. It's been kind of, kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, I think, so Aaron and I have lived in McKinney 10 years about, and when we first moved out here, there was just a bunch of cornfields. People were dove yeah. hunting. All oh, the, yeah. Like from our house, you could just hear pow, 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 opening day of dove season, which I love. But yeah. That's pretty much all gone. Yeah, it's I'm pretty all sure been developed. house is built in an old spot. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, I know it's been kind of crazy, but no, man, I, um, you know, primarily I, I love to, to hunt whitetail, um, obviously mature whitetail if I can, but, uh-huh. um, you know, we hunt, uh, my dad and I hunt up in, um, in Oklahoma quite a bit. Um, one area we do have leased, uh, another one we hunt public land quite a bit just, you know, cause we like it. And, um, you know, your kind of, your strategy changed a little bit there, uh, right. in terms of, you know, you're competing with thousands of other people tromping through the, through the woods. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the deal. I mean, you know, duck hunting, my brother's really big into that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not so much sold on it. Just it's pretty, pretty early for me, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's kind of one of those deals. And then obviously I, I really like pig hunting too. Um, you know, which, uh, I, I don't think we're in short supply here right. in Texas on those. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so prior to this season, what was the, what was the biggest buck that you had harvested? Um, well, so I guess, Low fence, um, the biggest would be uh, 194. Holy moly. Yeah, and then uh, high fence, um, that was actually this year was the largest I've ever shot. Uh, which was a 340, but uh, but like I say, those you know the high fence yeah. they don't really count. We That's just kind of that. a <laughs> it's like you know there's a drop time buck in here that went to 19. Right, wonderful experience. Go to this ranch, drink some beer. Right, um, that buck was actually a lot harder to kill. People think you just go to a high fence, just kill whatever you want. Right, I've hunted plenty of them with like for, for instance, uh, went to Rock Springs to try to kill an oh, axis yeah. deer. Yeah. My buddy has like, you know, the helicopter service says he has like uh, 90 axis deer on 640 acres. Right. Well, I didn't see a damn one of them. Uh, yeah. In I three know. trips I down know. there. But, uh, but this buck, he, uh, I was the next to last hunt of the season for him. He'd been trying to kill that deer all year. He's like, hey, well, I'm going to let you shoot this buck. And we traded out for advertising at Stillwater's Ranch mm-hmm. and um, down there in Lano. And he's like, but it's, he's going to be tricky because every time I park, at one food plot, he knows the sound of the truck and he goes to the other one. So he's like, I haven't tried this yet. Or he's like, he might smell the diesel. I don't know, but he knows. So we parked the truck at the one and then walked to the other one. It was a long walk, but right. we, sure enough, like 10 minutes before dark, here he oh, came that's, at that food so That's plot. what it takes for the mature ones. I mean, they're not dumb, you yeah. know. It's, but that being said, they're, they don't mean as much as any right, yeah. low fence trophy. People coming yeah. here want to hear about that buck. I'm like, yeah, that's great, but... Let me show you this five-point mule deer over here in the corner that I'm really proud right, of. Right. Public land. Yeah, absolutely. Like I say, anytime you can get something on public land, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've shot some that, you know, people are like, yeah, why did you shoot that thing? You know, and I'm like, it's the only deer that I saw that had horns, you know, and, uh, you know, so it's it's kind of one of those deals, you know, because I, I like eating the meat. It's not, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't just hunt for the trophy of it. Um, obviously, that is kind of the, the ultimate reward. But, um, I mean, I'll, I'll shoot a spike of it if it walks out and, and I got a tag on it. So, you yeah. know, it's well, kind of one of those. There's those guys who say, oh, you can't eat the horns. Right. You know, but that same guy that if 
that buck that you shot walked out or that spike walked out. He's not shooting right, the spike. Right, right, right. So don't tell me. It's, right. it's, it's, it's human nature. We like big bucks. We like big bass. We like big boobs. You know, yeah. guys, what, you know, the bigger the better. Yeah, yeah for uh, sure, right? But, uh, but anyway, so you're from Collin County. They opened up the season here for the first time, 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, it had been closed since the 70s. Why is that important? Because we keep seeing all these big bucks getting shot in Collin County, at least one a year. That's like over 200 inches. Right. And I think there's, you know, there's a few reasons for that. Number one is the age structure. These deer, because the season was closed for so long, have been able to grow to six and a half, seven and a half, even eight and a half years old in some instances. Uh, and then it's archery only, which just like Grayson County to the north of us, which is famous for big deer. Right. Collin County is becoming. Just like Grayson County. I mean, right. the deer are just, oh, I mean, yeah. they're just as big. Actually, over the last few years, the bigger bucks have been shot in right. Gallon yeah. County. Uh, and then genetics. And you, you've lived here longer than I have. Um, I, you know, I knew Collin County had deer. I didn't know that we had these genetics until the last few years. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, probably the first deer that I even saw uh, just growing up. Um, was kind of going down some of the, the back roads down toward Lucas mm-hmm. and um, saw a doe and uh, two yearlings run across the road. And that was in 97, mm-hmm. I guess. And I'm kind of like, was that a deer? You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and didn't really see much of anything, especially didn't see any bucks. But, um, you know, we've got so much core land, um, you know, so many places that those bucks can go and hide and, and they're secluded. Um, I mean, you know, that, um, it's not, it's not too, you know, it's not too difficult for them to get in a remote location where nobody goes and you don't see them. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at all the hunters you have had influx there. And there's still a lot of people that aren't seeing the big, mature, huge deer until the rut brings them out. You know, it's, yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's been, been kind of, kind of crazy to, to see just all the media attention that Collin County's gotten, um, you know, off of some of the deer well, we that's haven't been seen it in Dallas and Rockwall, which, same general area here in the North Texas area, but they opened up the same uh, year that Colin did. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any 200 inch deer come out of out of Dallas. Right. Now, there have been a few decent ones come out around uh, up, you know around Rockwall, but right. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is about Collin County, but well, you, you got a lot of the ag fields, um, you know, and uh, that like, back up to the core property. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so you know they've got a lot of protein, um, a lot of a lot of food to eat, a ton of cover you know, and not a lot of pressure. Um, now, you know, granted there's, there's people that go on the core, uh, <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, which obviously they ban pig hunting during, um, deer season, uh, for that reason as, as, you know, folks were trying to go and say that they were pig hunting when in reality right. they were looking for that, that next monster. But, um, you know, I mean, that's what it's going to take though, is just kind of everybody been vigilant of making sure people aren't doing what they're not supposed to be doing or we won't have deer like this, you yeah. know, letting them grow is the, the issue. Um, you know, if everybody shoots that 150, well, well what let me happens, ask you this you know? because, um, when I posted your buck on Instagram, which I didn't know you at the time, I didn't, I just said, I actually said, does anyone know who this hunter is? I heard it was a 200 and uh, something inch deer. And of course people started sending me messages. I like, I know that guy. I know mm-hmm. that guy. What one of the guys was like, um, I don't care. What they should do is open up Levon to 
public hunting or have at least have a draw system like they do on grapevine right or, right well, I can't, i'm drawing a blank of the one in grayson county what is it uh oh hagerman hagerman yeah, yeah. so uh, i mean people want to want to have that opportunity on levon i don't know there might be some public pressure after these bucks that because it's generally it's like the levon floodplain that seems like where mm. these monsters keep getting shot which uh like you said you can't hunt it there's thick cover and then you've got the ag fields that, that butt up uh, where they can come and feed as well so who knows but um how long have you had a lease in Collin County? Did you get one of those, you know, no, open? So, so I've, I've had, um, I've had some different leases. Um, this year I've actually had, I was on three different leases. Uh, last year I had two different leases. Um, and then the year before that, just one, um, you know, and some of them with some, some good deer, um, you know, one in particular had, you know, quite a few 140s, 150s, couple 160s, but it was one of those things. Could have shot them, yes, but I also understood, you know, the the caliber of deer that they could become. And so, you know, there were some of the deer that I just passed on because they weren't mature deer yet, mm-hmm. um, which I think is always hard for anybody, especially if you're paying for a lease. It's hard to to see a 150 or 160 walk going, man, I just paid to shoot a deer and now I'm going to let this deer it's walk. It's easier and- to do that if you're not year to year on your lease. Cause right. especially from my experience, we were talking about, and I've talked about it in detail on the show, but my Oklahoma experience, like mm-hmm. your lease, you're, you're year to year. You think you've got something going with the landowner and then, you know, it's, you don't blame the right. landowner. They sell it. Right. They got to do what's best for them. But then, that you're yeah you're at their the new landowner's mercy yeah i I get it i mean you know it's everybody you try to be management minded going man you know these deer have unbelievable genetics you know Mm -hmm. um they could just turn into so much more than what you're looking at that day but the issue is now collin county is getting so much notoriety that now you're just getting an influx of people coming in and hunting i mean well cody uh griffin's bucks the the two back-to-back 200 inches he mm-hmm. shot in consecutive years which he brought his bucks in studio and right I mean, yeah i mean I, I actually right grew right up there. yeah i grew up right down the road uh, from where their family-owned land is and i mean you know it's uh um, and he said he never saw deer until levon flooded which you know once we, it flooded we, he fed them they just never left yeah we were the same way i mean uh you know all the woods behind my dad's house i've played in rode four wheelers i mean all growing up and never saw any deer mm-hmm. um you know so it's it's just kind of kind of crazy but yeah cody's uh man that's <laughs> if, if he drops another 200 inch this year i mean that he's got to get some kind of record for right. you know that many in a row i mean it's yeah it's that's phenomenal his his deer were amazing but uh you told me your dad you, you've seen some nice bucks even one that kind of got killed in a man that was not the hunter's fault but you know there was some shady stuff going on there but you won't hunt your dad's place because it's not 10, 10 acres. Legally, you can't hunt it. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a city ordinance, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and what all the, you know, what all the was, the stuff was with, with the deer that, that got shot, um, you know, next to my dad, I don't know. Um, like I say, it's all I do know is I know what the, the city ordinances are. Right. I know what the law is, and I just stay within that so I don't have to yeah. answer to anybody. Right. So, um, you know, it's just, you know, it's one of those things. But, um, you know, I mean, if everybody did it the right way, good for them, man. Mm. You know, that's great. Well, these leases in, in Collin County are becoming harder and harder to get because of deer, mm-hmm. like the ones that Cody shot, the one that you just shot. Um, 
imagine once it got out the area that you know you shot your buck, which we're not going to give GPS coordinates. Um, you've got <laughs> to protect your your investment and also your lease mates that you'd like to stay on that property. But you know, like so, the the neighbors obviously know this deer, right? Uh, at least one person did, right? And if if they tell someone, then you know, the next thing people are knocking on your landowner's door saying, "Hey, whatever that guy Absolutely. paid, we'll double it." <laughs> Absolutely, you know? and uh, that that's what that's how it's becoming all over Collin County. How long have you been on your on your current lease where you shot this buck? Uh, so I actually got on that lease on November first wow. of this year, <laughs> um, and. Like I say, it was, you know, ideally I would like to, to prepare a little more than, uh, and plus I would like to have, you know, all of October, yeah. uh, to be able to hunt. So got on the lease on November 1st, uh, I guess it was on the fourth, um, I went down, um, and, uh, did some scouting, found a, a huge rub on a tree, hung a sailor camera on it that night the picture of the, the drop time buck showed up. So I realized, okay, this is, this is his. And wow, this, this is now the work begins trying to, right. trying to pinpoint this thing. And, um, so went back down a couple well, of days. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's take a break, come yeah. back and get into, yeah. uh, into that. Sound Absolutely. good? Yeah. Perfect. That segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ad Credit. They've been helping their borrowers finance their own pieces of paradise for over a hundred years, whether that's for recreating running cattle, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city for the weekend. They'll do the same for you, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We continue this big buck tale after the break on the Lone Star Outdoors show. All right, waterfowl junkies, the finisher is the quick and humane way to dispatch a duck or goose. It's uh, you know, it's unsettling when you've wrung that bird's neck, you throw it in the pile, and 10 minutes later, he's laying there flopping. Uh-uh. We don't want that. That's not ethical. And so the finisher alleviates that. You stick the finisher in the back of the bird's skull at an upward angle, give it a little twist, boom, dead instantly, never felt the thing. The finisher is only 14 bucks. It fits on any waterfowling lanyard, and you can find it at adrenal-line.com. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817 965 1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. So forgive me all my anger, forgive me all my faults. There's no need to forgive me for thinking what I thought. I loved you from the get go, and I'll love you till I die. I loved you on the Spanish steps the day you said goodbye. There's one of my all-time favorites from the late great guy Clark Dublin Blues bringing us back. I'm Cable Smith, and you are tuned in to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Also, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. And thanks to you guys and gals 
for being here with me as we are rocking and rolling. 2019 is underway. I think it's going to be, well, I'll be honest, it's going to be tough to beat 2018 as far as the number of things that I checked off the old bucket list, but we're going to do our damnedest, and I guarantee you it will be our best year yet as far as the content we're bringing you on the radio and podcast every week. That I do promise you, no doubt about it. Uh, this segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Uh, <laughs> there's really no reason to even say it anymore because you guys know I love my 7 mag. And I'm just going to tell you, if you're looking for a custom rifle build, look no further than Horizon Firearms. doesn't matter the caliber. doesn't matter all the special ways that you want to spec out your build. They'll do it for you. And they will do an amazing job and deliver a tack-driving son of a gun. Check them out, horizonfirearms.com. All right, well, we've still got Collin County bow hunter Chad Jones and his 230-plus-inch uh, white-tailed deer here in the studio with us as we're about to get into the nitty-gritty of how this buck was finally arrowed. And you'll have to forgive me, Chad, as I keep gawking at this deer but I, I do think it's more socially acceptable to stare longingly at another man's buck as opposed to like his wife or girlfriend but uh thanks for sticking around yeah thanks it's uh yeah honor to be here for sure man we talked a little bit about collin county and the, the hotbed for big bucks that it's become over the past uh five years or so um you got on this lease november 1st and i guess a few days later you said you were out doing a little scouting and, and found a giant rub Right. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it was, I mean, a, a, probably a 10 inch diameter tree and this thing was rubbed up. So, um, took my sailor camera, hung it on the tree. And, um, that night he showed up, sent checking it. Hmm. And I was just like, okay, I don't know if I tell anybody or if I just <laughs> hang on to this kind of deal. But anyway, so I went ahead and, uh, shared it with the, with the guys on the lease. There's obviously, three other guys. On yeah. The lease yeah. And, and the property is roughly how many acres that y'all were sharing? Uh, the total is around 300. Uh -huh. And, um, anyway, and so I knew they were going to see the deer and, and, you know, we were all relatively in pretty close proximity, uh, to each other. And so, uh, shared it with them and they're like, holy cow, man, this is amazing. <laughs> you know? So, so then the, then the strategizing, you know, started it. So I went down, took a, a gravity feeder. Like I say, I just don't care to use spin cast, just uh -huh. bucks don't care for them. Um, with the exception of nighttime. And so, um, so took a, a gravity feeder, hung it relatively close to the rub and, uh, and, you know, filled it up with, uh, with some feed, um, and, that night he was back in and just hammering that thing. And I was like, all right. So just kind of monitored the way he was coming in, the way he was going. And it was literally almost every single day, uh, that he was coming to it. And, uh, and so I went down, put some other cameras out, found his rub line. Like how many cameras how would you say? You put I out? had nine cameras out. Nine. Yeah. Wow. On your, and you're, you've basically got like a hundred acres or so. Like you guys split up the property, right? So you've got nine cameras, and you're trying to literally. Yeah, yeah, exactly I was, I was, yeah, I was kind of once I once I had the once I found the rub, and it was kind of on a on a dead end. Mm -hmm. I, so I knew he wasn't really 
going past that point. Then I started working backwards to where he's coming from, which was the thicker woods. And um, all of these are wireless, or we... no? Uh, so that leads so, me. I'm going to ask the next question, but yeah. So yeah, so five of them are wireless, uh -huh. um, and the others are. So then, how wireless. often were you willing to? Once you see this, a buck of this caliber. How often are you willing to go in there and check your trail cameras? That was the reason I used the wireless okay. cameras. Uh, yeah, I mean, because obviously you know as well as I do, the more you go in there, and it's hard not to when you see a deer like that. I mean, obviously you want to go in there and and check cameras every single day. Yeah. And like, okay, where's he at? Twice but, a day. But, you know, I mean, honestly, the, the cellular cameras are the greatest invention ever oh, made yeah. because I can now see what's going on, the time that he's moving, without having to go in there. So obviously – there was no daytime pictures at this point. So I was going in daytime, filling up the feeder. Cause I mean, he was just wearing this thing out mm -hmm. and, um, and then kind of maneuvering. Were there other deer going to it as well? Yeah. Yeah. There were some, you know, some smaller bucks, uh, some does were coming yeah. to it constantly. And, um, anyway, and so, uh, so I, I've kind of found his, his rub line and his trail. Cause like I say, he came in the same side and left the same side of this little ravine I was on every time never came to the office side regardless of the wind direction so i thought it was kind of strange so <clears throat> anyway just went down kept maneuvering cameras around until i found out his bedding area and so once i found that then it was just a matter of setting up based on wind direction on each side of it um you know obviously i would never hunt the day so did that, you even hang a tree stand until you figured out where he was no no i because it was kind of pointless for me to put anything up there until I was for sure I was in a good transition to where he was going to be. I mean, this is a great uh, story of I would I would call the modern deer hunter. You know, I mean, like using these cameras. I mean, I I think so many people have been like, I got to get a tree stand. I got to get three tree stands right. hung now so I can shoot this buck. But like, you literally I, I use want, technology to you know hunt smarter, not harder. Yeah, uh, I, I mean. And not scare him out of there. Right. And I mean, because like I say, I mean, you know as well as I do, a deer like that, if he saw me going in there or smells me in there, it, it could be game over. And so it was kind of one of those things to where I tried to go as least as possible until I figured out what he was doing, which, you know, the first couple of weeks was purely nocturnal. Mm -hmm. I had no daytime pictures of him. And um, anyway, and so then um, – so I, I kind of went to an opposite side, looking, scouting for a spot to, to put a stand and, um, you know, found some, you know, kind of a, a beat down trail where does are traveling through, found the doe bedding area. So I was like, I'm going to hang a stand, just a lock on stand. I was like, I'm going to hang it right here over this trail. That way, when the rut hits, he'll be traveling up and down these, these trails, mm -hmm. going to their bedding area and looking. Well, so sure enough. I hang the stand that day at 1.30, um, and at 3.30 that afternoon was the first daylight picture I had of him walking down that trail. <laughs> and I was like, go figure. Obviously, I knew it was a good spot, but I wasn't sitting there because, yeah. you, know, um, you know, I went and sat on, on a different stand just for the fact that I thought, well, I'm making too much noise being in here, too much scent on the ground. Yeah. So that was the first daylight picture, which was, I was kind of like, Okay, it's it's the real deal now. You know, I knew that because at first I didn't know if he was just passing through, um, but you know, once I realized where his his core spot now was, he's living on your property. Yeah, he was living on the property. Uh -huh. uh, once I once I realized you know where he was he was betting, uh, where his core spot was, it was just kind of a cat and mouse game of sitting on you know either side of that bed, um, you know, and and hoping that that I got lucky. So. So once the other guys on the leash saw the picture, 
Was it kind of like a mindset of, I mean, everybody, everybody obviously wants to kill the buck for themselves, but was it also kind of like a team mindset of someone on this, we, one of us needs oh, to absolutely. kill him rather than the neighbor or him getting hit by a Yeah, absolutely. Or, and, um, you know, and so like I said, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of the neighbors and, you know, some of them had seen the buck before, some of them haven't, um, you know, so we knew he was at least venturing over to, you know, some of the areas, um, you know, so it's kind of one of those things is once I got daylight pictures, I was like, someone else is probably getting daylight pictures. So now the race is on. It's like, Hey, one of us has to get this deer on the ground before <laughs> he either gets hit by a car. Cause we see that happen every oh, yeah. year with good deer, um, you know, or, or someone else shoots them. And so, uh, you know, I know really all the guys had, had put quite a bit of time in the stand and, um, and I know at least two of them had seen him on the hoof. Um, just like I say, it was just too far. And then uh, the first encounter I had with him was sitting over the trail. I was sitting over no food, just on the trail. And um, and he'd come in, I guess it's about 745 on, I guess that would have been the 17th uh -huh. of November. And uh, instead of following the trail, he kind of, turned and ventured out into the brush he stopped about 45 yards kind of scanned across this little ravine i was on turned went back the way he came and never saw him again until so 45 yards is a poke for what for a white-tailed deer for me i just think they're too quick like you could shoot an elk all day at 80 yards right. they're just right. slow and cumbersome right. relative to you know the fast twitch fibers of right. white-tailed deer i mean they're so nervous these animals right. just all the time looking like they're going to spaz oh, yeah. out you know so um did he not present a shot or were you just not going to take one he, he didn't present a shot he was actually about 10 yards from walking into a shooting lane uh but like I say that was the first time i saw him live mm -hmm. so it was kind of that moment of like oh wow you know <laughs> this this dude's for real and uh anyway and so um, you know, it was kind of one of those things he turned, walked off the way he came. Uh, I was downwind from, I mean, so he never, he never smelt me the way he came in. Mm -hmm. I didn't, wasn't anywhere that I'd walked. Uh, so, I, you know, I knew I didn't alert him that way. He just basically came down, scanning for does, didn't see one, turned, went back the other way. And, um, you know, so it was, it was kind of one of those things like, well, now do I keep sitting here or do I keep going back to the, or do I go back to the area where there's, there's food and does, you know, coming to the food? Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. What did you, what did all the guys think that this buck would score? Uh, well, we actually had a, we actually had have a, a contest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, Michael, one of the guys on the lease, I think he was the closest to it. Um, if I remember right. And, um, you know, so yeah, we all had a, all had a poll. I'd originally had guessed 223 uh -huh. is, is what I thought that he would be. And, uh, you know, it's so, so obviously when he got, he got the growth score and went over, don't that, tell us, yeah. uh, you know, I was kind of like, we'll, we'll oh, tease that for the right, next segment. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, but any, anything over, over 200 inches is, I mean, yeah. obviously. A, and you've shot, like you said, a 194 a free range buck before. So, you know, big deer, you thought this guy was going to go over 220. Let's take uh let's take one more break, come back and actually talk about the day of the hunt and the experience of, of actually sealing the deal with this buck of a lifetime. Good deal. That segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by First Light. I was out at the Deerleys, uh, it was the last weekend, took the kids, which uh, I'll tell you more about that next week, but uh, it was freezing. I mean, like, it was pretty damn cold. 
And uh, I had on the, the Catalyst whitetail system. And the wifey, who's not a big hunter, but uh, did come because eh, she wanted to be with dad and the kiddos, uh, she borrowed my sanctuary bibs and jacket. And so she gave the, uh, the sanctuary setup two thumbs up, kept her warm and toasty, and kept me happy because I didn't have to listen to her bitch about how cold it was. So check it out, the Catalyst and Sanctuary Systems, and you can find them both at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. We'll wrap up how one of the top five archery bucks ever killed in Texas met its end after the break, only on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But I learned more on the freight docks, dropping forklifts on a 3 o'clock a.m. shift in the wintertime, man, it got cold, selling guitars on the West Coast. Going Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts. Just 30 minutes south of DFW, if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, you need to give them a call. Hunts are $2.50 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Hi, y'all. This is Sharon and Daniels. I want to thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Call up Trudy on the telephone. Send a letter in the mail. Tell I'm hung up in Dallas. They won't let me out. Of There's the Lone Star Outdoor Show Zone. Charlie Daniels bringing us back from break. Trudy, the name of that one there. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you so much for being here today. As we're visiting with bow hunter Chad Jones, who's Collin County Monster. <laughs> this thing is going to go top 10 all time in Texas. We'll certainly be in the top five as far as archery bucks are concerned as well. And we'll hear how that hunt went down here in just a second. First, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds and their big chingone. I finally took the entire family out to the deer lease this season. That's right. Myself, the wifey. Henry, and the twins. We put five chairs in that sucker. I'm not kidding you. And we still had room. Could put the dog in there. It's the big chingone. It's got archery and rifle windows for you, Dad. Check it out. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Well, let's go ahead and jump back into it here with Chad Jones, who was nice enough to stick around for one more segment. We've been building momentum here as we're going to finally hear about how one of the biggest bucks ever killed with archery equipment in Texas uh, met his end. 
So you saw him on the hoof, I think you said on the 17th. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see him again until Thanksgiving Day? Because that's the no. day you actually No, and, 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 the, and did your wife get, I mean, was your wife starting to get pissed about well, the well, amount of time you so, were spending in the stand? Well, let me start by saying this. My wife, Holly, is a saint. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she is awesome. That's like mine. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of one of those things. And, and I'll tell you this. So we got married on September 30th. Mm -hmm. Okay. The day before opening weekend of archery. Mm. So I, I feel like that was a huge gesture of love that I missed opening weekend. My family had to miss it. My dad's like, who gets married on opening oh. weekend? Yeah. No, but, November 15th here. So I know. Right. <laughs> right. So all jokes aside though, man. Uh, yeah. She's been awesome. Like I say, it's, it's kind of one of those deals. I mean, she's, she's always supported it. I mean, she yeah. understands, you know, I just, I've got a, a passion for, for hunting regardless of what it is, even though she likes to call it an addiction, mm. you know, but, uh, yeah, she's been great. It's kind of one of those deals. I go hunt, she goes and shops and you know, <laughs> we, we work it out. But, um, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, I went in, I hunted on the 16th, the 17th, which then I saw him on the 17th uh -huh. that morning. I hunted the 18th, 19th and 20th. Um, so I hunted five days in a row. And then, um, and then on, were the, you seeing rutting activity going on with? Other, oh yeah, other yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw some really good deer. Um, I, I saw um, a lot of bucks already chasing. I knew a lot of the does were already in heat. Uh, you know, because a few mm -hmm. days prior they had been, you know, kind of boxing their kids away, trying to trying to split them off. Uh, so I knew it was it was about to get pretty insane. And uh, same <laughs> so way on the so on the so I hunted those five days in a row. Are these so, all day sits. Yeah, uh, it was all day sits, and mm -hmm. I was getting up at three fifteen in the morning. Um, you know, my drive obviously isn't far, right? But uh, you know, I try to get in the stand two hours beforehand because a lot of the deer, my my cellular camera had been going off, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, five thirty. So I'm like, I want to be in the stand before they get to that point. Let everything die down. If all the wind's good in my direction, I mean, they can sit there and eat. I'm not bothering anything, but busting them walking in is a whole different story. You need to get so. yourself a thermal if you don't have one already. Yeah, yeah. I use that thing for this. I mean, I have never seen a buck like that that I'm trying to kill, but, you know, just walking to and from my stand, I'm, yeah. I'm always using that thermal. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so it was starting to take a toll on me, getting up that early, <laughs> sitting all day, you know, but... I realized that's what it was going to take. And it was prime time, yeah. you know, to where I'm like, all right, this deer's got to show up here at some point. And, um, anyway, so, uh, so on the, so that was five days in a row. So then on the 21st, the day before Thanksgiving was the only day I didn't go. My daughter actually had a doctor's appointment. And, um, and so we take her, uh, to the, to the appointment. My cell camera goes off at seven 30 and he's standing there, at the stand I'd been hunting and starts eating out of the gravity feeder. And I was like, <laughs> so I just showed my wife, I was like, this has to be, just deer hates me, yeah. you know? And, uh, anyway, and so, so he eats for a little bit, leaves, you know, we're going throughout the day doing stuff with the kids. One thirty in the afternoon, it goes off again. He shows up again. And I was like, so I told the wife, I was like, I gotta go. He may show up a third time. This afternoon, he's basically he's just coming in there and checking for does, any hot does coming to that feeder. So, grab my stuff, go down there, no show. 
I, I see some eight points chasing does around, but he doesn't show. And I was like, geez. <laughs> and um, so the next day, uh, which was Thanksgiving, uh, which was really my last day to hunt for like a couple of weeks because I had a, a hunting trip uh, planned with my dad on our lease in Tishomingo, Oklahoma, and um, and some other stuff going on. And so I was like, so I told the wife, I said, hey, I'm just going to go out for a couple hours. I was planning to leave by 9 o'clock. I'm just going to go for a couple hours and, uh, you know, just see what happens kind of deal. We had a lot of family coming in. We were hosting Thanksgiving at her house. So she's like, where's don't. Chad? Oh no, he's, yeah, uh, he's in a tree stand. Yeah, she's like, don't be late, <laughs> you know? And, um, anyway, so, uh, so get up super early, go up there. I'm actually getting out of my truck. My cell camera goes off and I was like, Oh, please don't be him. You know, cause I'm needing to walk down there at this point mm-hmm. while I look and it's a really good nine point. And, um, so I was like, okay, well, it doesn't really bother me so much as long as he's not tagging along with him. So walk down there and I end up scaring that buck off, uh, walk down there with no light, you know? And so mm-hmm. I was able to get relatively close to him before he realized something wasn't right. And so anyway, I go sit down, all the woods quiet down and, you know, I can hear stuff moving around and anyway, so it was dead silent after that buck ran off. I did not see or hear anything the rest of the morning. And I'm just like, man, what is the deal? I mean, it was literally like the woods were dead. And, um, anyway, so one of my buddies, he was hunting that morning as well. And he was sitting probably, I don't know, three quarters of a mile for me, mm-hmm. something like that. And, um, and he, um, he texts me, I guess about eight 30 and says, Hey, I just saw the drop time buck running hard on a doe was headed down toward your stand or headed south and uh so i was like you know he was a long ways from me so i thought the chances of that deer running by so continuing anyway, to run south for right, three quarters right. of a mile yeah yeah so like 15 minutes later i hear crashing through the through the woods and i'm sitting in a ground blind just because of the wind direction i actually had a lock on but um just because of the wind the the way it was set up if they would have come between me and the, the kind of the Creek I was on, they could still win me. So I actually sat in, in a ghost blind. It's kind of a mirrored, uh, reflects the ground. Mm-hmm. I sat up against the Creek. So nothing could come from behind me between that and the, the feeder. And, uh, anyway. And so does the go, the ghost blind doesn't have a top on it. Does it? No, no, okay. it's just, it's like just fold yeah. out panels uh-huh. and you angle them down. Yeah, and so they just it. reflect the mm-hmm. ground. They're, they're really pretty awesome. And, um, and so anyway, uh, so I hear crashing through the woods. I look over and this doe is running full speed right at me. And I'm sitting there thinking, this thing's not like a pop-up. I mean, you you go away when you're sitting behind these. Like, they can't see anything other than to the top of your head. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so she's running right at me. I was like, oh, my God. I hope she, I hope she doesn't think I'm a pile of brush <laughs> and, like, try to run over me. Well, she runs and stops. 10 yards from me. Well, she's turning and looking back. She's panting her tongues hanging out. And I'm sitting there looking at her. And I'm wanting to look to see what's running and running behind her. And, um, and, but I'm so close to her that if I turn my head, I'm afraid she's going to see me and start blowing. And it's, it's all over at that point. So finally she takes a few steps up into the brush. I turn and look and I just see the rack and the (laughs) drop time hanging down. And I was like, Oh, here we go. Uh, And, uh, so anyway, so he's running at me at this point too. And I'm sitting there. So I'm, in my mind, I'm going, all right, how do I get pulled back without him seeing me? And he's literally, he's looking at her, but he's facing right at right. me. And um, luckily, she turns and runs, 
kind of around the, the trees. And he, so he takes a different angle and starts kind of quartering away uh, to, to cut her off. And so, you know, I've already ranged all the trees, um, you know, previously. So I knew that way, if a scenario like that happened, mm-hmm. I already knew what trees were, what distance. And, uh, so anyway, so he kind of starts quartering away. He gets right into my shooting lane, you know, or kind of behind some trees. I pull back, he gets, gets into the shooting lane and it's the, the typical meh. <laughs> man, man, and I can't get him to stop. And, you know, I'm just progressively getting louder, and, and he's not stopping. And you know, he's still at a pretty good trot. And um, it was kind of one of those things. Is I mean, he was about to get in the brush, and I thought, I mean, this is now or never. And uh, like I say, I've shot enough coyotes that have you know been on the run, so I thought, well, I think I can make it happen. So so I kind of led a little bit on his front shoulder, and when I shot, and he was right at 40 yards. And he was quartering away pretty hard. And so I led right to the front shoulder. And so when I shot, it went right to the back of his ribs, come out the far side shoulder. So it basically hit every vital oh my that, God. That, oh, it, oh. that it could have hit. And was um, he, So was that a full sprint or just kind of a trot? And kind of a trot. Yeah, that's if, a, if it would have been a full sprint, shot. yeah, if it had been a full sprint, I wouldn't have tried it. Uh, you know, but the um, – yeah, so you know, I got I got pretty lucky on that deal, and um, anyway, it was it was a perfect shot, and I saw his, his tail hunker down, and you know, he takes off around the corner and kind of goes in the. Did you know immediately field. that you made a good shot? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I've got the Luminox on there, mm-hmm. and so you can see the placement. You know, even at a fast paced moment yeah. like that, I, I I mean, I saw the the puncture and the angle, and I thought, okay, we're we're good. That's when the adrenaline set in, though. You know, it was kind of like. Did I really just shoot him? You know, because he came in so fast that I didn't even have time for adrenaline to hit. You yeah. know, it's from the time I saw him to the time I drew back was maybe eight to 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, which seems like an eternity when you're trying to figure out if he's running straight at you. And luckily he turned and kind of went behind some limbs so I could draw back. But um, anyway, and so it was, it was kind of one of those things. I, I saw him turn the corner, but never saw him fall. The doe's kind of, she's still standing there looking around like, where did he go? You know, and, uh, and so, you know, I didn't want to spook her because I thought, well, you know, if he's, if he's still there and she blows and he runs, I mean, this sucker may run for a mile for all I know. And, um, so anyway, so she kind of hunkers down and starts, you know, walking off and I was like, well, I'll give him, you know, I'll give him 15 minutes. I'll go look for my arrow because I knew it was a full pass through. Uh, I'll go look for my arrow, check for the blood. If not good signs, I'll just back out and come back later. So I look down, text the wife, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and so. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and so uh, so the, the doe starts kind of going off. Well, a little eight point comes running along, picks up her wind because she was in heat. And off they go. So she, he starts chasing her. So they run off. So finally I get up, go check my arrow. I find it just, I mean, coated in blood. So I was like, man, we're in good shape. And then, you know, it was a couple little specks. And then I walked up to where he kind of turned the corner and blood was just poured out. And I got my binoculars, kind of scanned across the, the opening that he went in. And I saw one side of the rack sticking out of the grass. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is unbelievable. So I walk up, put my hands on him, and I was just like, dude, this is this is what it's all about, man. I mean, that's one of those – I've never taken a, an archery shot on a running or moving deer, but it's like the moment of truth. Do you have what it takes? Uh, do you have the stomach 
for that moment. You know, you know it's test your metal as a hunter. You know, if you if you can do, I've shot them. I've shot. I mean, people listening might even think this is wrong to say, but I've shot running deer with a rifle before. Mm-hmm. Axis deer. Shot an axis buck with one. I don't feel bad about doing it. And uh, well, I knew I could make the shot. It wasn't a far right. shot. I just, well, you know, I, I will say this. I mean, there's there's a big difference. He was he was at a trot, not mm-hmm. a run. I Perfect mean, angle though, quartering slightly. Right. Away, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. My my. <clears throat> margin for error you know because i mean it's one thing if if he's full broadside and you shoot and it gut punches him or something but i mean the the angle that he was going at that once it once it hit i mean it was hitting everything the liver the lungs i mean all of it was going and so with today's you know compound bows you're from some pretty serious yeah you know it it sounds kind of it sounds kind of dumb but um you know i actually practice a lot of times like I might run sprints, mm-hmm. like to go retrieve my arrow and then run back, pick up my bow, because that way you're simulating that adrenaline dump as, as best you can. You're yeah. breathing hard. You're trying to keep that, you know, that pin on a on an accurate spot. And so, I know the wife kind of looks at me weird, you know, like <laughs> why are you running to get your arrow? It's kind of deal, but it's it's one of those things. It's you know, um, until that situation happens, I mean. You can you can only try to prepare as best you can, which obviously you had. So. Well, you never know what a deer's going to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, anything could have happened. Um, you know, I mean, he, like I say, luckily he was so out of tune with what was going on yeah. that there wasn't any time for him to try to jump an arrow or anything. It was he was focused on her, and that was it. So it. Well, you're not going to catch any flag for me. I think it's <laughs> I think it's awesome that you had. You know, you had the skills to make that shot in that moment. Um, people, some people listening to me like, I've never shoot a running animal. Whatever. Uh, it is what it is. You made the shot. This yeah. deer sitting here in the studio. Well, yeah, the, the, uh, yeah I guess. The, <laughs> There's proof right cause, there. Because that's the thing. I would never I would never try to shoot one at obviously a full run mm-hmm. with an arrow. Sure. Uh, but like I say, I felt comfortable enough at the speed that he was going, just kind of a little like a coyote trotting along that I, I knew – the distance he was, I knew exactly how far he was. So I was like, if I lead just a little bit here at yeah. the angle he's at, I'm hitting vitals. You know, so if if I wasn't confident in that yeah. situation of doing, I would have obviously never done it, regardless of, of the size yeah. of deer. Well, I don't want to um, keep dwelling on it. I, I didn't know that that part of the story, so I yeah. think that's pretty. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it, fascinating. Yeah, it was you know kind of being in the right place, at the right time, and a lot of luck. You yeah. know, it's uh, and the ground blind too. I mean, yeah, it, you know, which which intensifies things when they're that close. You yeah. know, right on top of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's um, so you walk up on him. You're like, holy moly, mm-hmm. this just happened, and there wasn't any ground shrinkage, obviously, on this buck. No, <laughs> the funny part is he actually grew. Yeah, uh, this is probably the first buck i've ever walked up to and he has grown as as i got up there and you know and i knew obviously he was a he was a big deer like i say i guessed he was you know 223 when i originally saw the pictures of him and i had hundreds of pictures of him and um anyway and so i get up and just you know the mass on him i was just like wow this (laughs) thing is unbelievable you know and so it's it's kind of funny because you know I, you know, I, I take some pictures, I text the wife. I said, Hey, I had one job. It was to go pick up the sweet tea, you know, for the, for the Thanksgiving. My wife's texting me like, where are you at? You know, I was like, I think you're going to have to go to the store. I was like, I'm, I'm a little occupied here, you know, but, um, anyway. And so, um, you know, it, it just, I will say it makes it tough. Um, you know, cause the weekend after I went to Oklahoma to hunt with my dad in yeah. Tishomingo 
And that's, that's kind of tough sitting there knowing that nothing of that caliber is going to walk out. You're just like, man, it makes it a little harder getting up in the mornings. But, you know, I mean, that's what it's all about, though. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. uh, just trying to trying to figure out where those deer are at and, and, and a game plan to get on. I mean, that's part of the enjoyment. I caught uh, my first double-digit largemouth last spring. Haven't been back since. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll do it to you, man. It'll do it I'll, to I you. I mean, you know, I, I love fishing, and I've been fishing. I just haven't gone fishing for large. I mean, it was like, it's, yeah, it I was like, I'm done. Gym. I it beat my dad's biggest. Bit, that was yeah. really the thing. It was like, I caught a bigger one than my dad. Right. It's like, hey, dad, when you beat that, you know. <laughs> well, the, the, the funny part is, it's it's kind of one of those things I, as i understand it kind of takes that that drive out of wanting to go but the the cool part about it is is i know for a fact there are bigger deer than that one um you know running around in collin county so it's 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 not like all man you shot the biggest one yeah a state record will come out of collin county at some point it's just a matter of I don't know if that's going to be construction pushing those deer yeah. into into somebody's lap or just well, you know, I mean, guys we being saw at the, the right place at the right time. The poached buck in Denton County was essentially, you know, it was the Greenbelt corridor between mm-hmm. Denton and and uh, Collin County. That's where that buck came out of. Right. And and then your buck ended up scoring two thirty five and what uh, some change? Yeah, it's two thirty five and, and three eighths. Um, and then uh, I'd got a message from from one of the Pope and Young scorers, and I think there were a couple of um, a couple of deductions they had on there after he got some clarification. It was like two thirty four and seven eighths or something uh-huh. like that. But so, uh, but he has to officially dry for 60 days or whatever it is. Correct. Yeah. And so obviously, uh, at the end of January, I'll take it in and get the official score on it and see where that, where that uh-huh. falls in the, in the list. It's nice that, uh, Pope and young and Boone and Crockett finally start, stop squabbling about right. that. Now, now they accept each other's right. score right. because you have like with the AJ downs buck and the Taylor buck, that, yeah, you, know, you see the differential in scores. Different scores, too. like what the hell's going on? Yeah. Just do one score, and so now that now they, you know, accept right. each other. So right. whatever your score is, that will be the, the score. And I think we talked about this off the air, but you know, you've got the AJ Downs buck, the Taylor buck out of Grayson County, and is there one more that is higher than two thirty five, or well, will yours well, be number three? Co- Cody's, my understanding was the gross score on that one was two forty one. Okay, um, which. Yeah, I've to seen my that, knowledge, I've had my um, hands on that buck. That thing was a yeah, awesome uh, yeah. Buck. Like I say, don't so, recall yeah, it being to, as wide as yours, but yeah. To, to my knowledge, I mean, there there hasn't been one um, in Collin County that's that's been bigger than his. Yeah. So, um, so yours might be number four all time in the state, then. Yeah, uh, and, you know, just kind of depending, a, depending what drops. <laughs> this I got year, on the lease you know, November first, and then I shot. The, yeah, yeah, the, it was, yeah. It was uh, well, and, and that's what I'll say because I've got two other leases in Collin County which have really, really good deer on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's there's one that it's got some 200 inch deer on it, and um, but everything took a back burner once I saw this one because you know one of the other ones with the big deer, it was the flooding was uh was really messing the the hunting up on that one so um mm-hmm. but like i say once i had pictures of him and i realized where he he was living on our property you know it was just a matter of trying to trying to outsmart one that's that's lived on that spot for that long and yeah you know it's uh was the place not there. hunted prior to you guys it was it, it was, was. Okay. um yeah i know um there were some guys that i had i think had been leasing for like five years prior and um and i know talking to them they had a lot of pictures of him 
um, one of the guys told me he, that he had shot under him the year before. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it's gotta be a heartbreaker, man. I don't know that there's any, that would, what would be worse, yeah. you know, uh, is have the opportunity and then, and then shoot under it. You just be like, Oh no, you know, just, but, uh, those those kind of deer will do that to you. Oh yeah. Yeah. How wide is he? Uh, so, and how many points and people can go look at my Instagram. Yeah. He was, he was 26, uh, I think right at 26 inches wide. Wow. And, um, and then I think he was right at 30 scoreable points. My Clay County lease, we're just praying that they make 13 inches. He's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, two, of, hey, two of our bucks up there. Hey, man, I'm telling you, I don't discriminate. <laughs> I hunt public public land up in Oklahoma, too. And, and you know, it's... Uh, you know, it's kind of a different mentality up there because yeah. I'm not trying to manage anything there. I'm just trying to fill a tag. So, yeah. but yeah, um, put some meat in the freezer. See, it's nice to talk to, to someone who has killed uh big bucks like yourself. But I mean, the first thing you say is like, I like to eat deer meat, you know what I mean? That's, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and my, my kids eat it too. It works out good that it's like, I'm not the only one in the house that, that eats it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely the buck of a lifetime, man. I don't know if you'll get one bigger. They're, they are out there, uh, but we certainly appreciate you coming in studio and, and sharing this story of a hell of a deer. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, hopefully I can kind of uh, hopefully I can kind of replicate uh, Cody's uh, Cody Griffin's story and be back again next year with a with another monster. Like I say, they're they're definitely out there. It's just um, you know, yeah. a lot being in the right place at the right time, man. No doubt, no doubt. So. Well, hell of a buck, man, and uh, Thank loved you. hearing about the way that the hunt unfolded, and uh, it's one of those big buck tales that I think everybody gravitates to and, and wants to hear about, so yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Likewise. So there he goes, Chad Jones and his 235-inch monster and some change. Uh, still awaiting that official score. Could go up, could go down just a little bit, but uh, we'll see where that thing stacks up all time among Texas white-tailed deer. And that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar, the latest and greatest in thermal imaging and night vision technology. You can find their entire lineup by visiting PulsarNV.com. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock, we've got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Chad, as well as our other guest today, Dr. Dale Rollins of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Uh, Dale will actually be back next week, and we'll change things up, talk some bird dogs in part two of our mini-series on quail and bird dogs. Uh, so you want to tune in for that. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. He kept her picture in his pocket That was closest to his heart And when he hit shore Must have been a target for the gunman